Minnesota GOP is beginning a new chapter after the resignation of its party chairwoman. Jennifer Carnahan is going to walk away with roughly $38,000. That's three months worth of severance. Follows accusations she created a toxic work environment and questions about her connections to Republican donor Tony Lazaro charged with child sex trafficking. The Minnesota Republican Party needs a new leader, but it's a job few people want. From the Minnesota Reformer, this is Reformer Radio. I'm Max Nesterak. The federal indictment of a major Minnesota GOP donor on charges of sex trafficking minors set in motion a series of events that led to the ouster of party chair Jennifer Carnahan. But that has far from solved the party's problems. While Carnahan has boasted that they had resolved a lot of their legacy debt, previous financial disclosures it showed at one point that they only had $13 in their federal account. This week, reformer reporter Ricardo Lopez explains how Carnahan lost her grip on power and what's next for the Minnesota Republican Party. It's Friday, August 27th. Ricardo Lopez, where does the story of Jennifer Carnahan getting ousted start? So the story of Jennifer Carnahan's resignation starts this past spring when she runs for a third term as Minnesota Republican Party chair. She has served in that role since about 2017, um, and her record has been pretty mixed. Um, The Republican Party hasn't won a statewide race in about 15 years. Um, They lost the presidential election last year. Uh, Trump lost by, by a good amount, more than he lost in 2016. And that was despite Minnesota being a targeted race. So the party's trying to move past this. Jennifer Carnahan is still very firmly in Trump's corner, even though he's no longer president. Um, and But there has been growing dissatisfaction with her time as leader, as leader of the party. So she ends up attracting a challenger in the form of state senator Mark Coran of Northfield. When he launches his candidacy for the role, his tagline is leadership without the drama, which is a pretty obvious dig at her personality and her style of leadership. Um, Anybody who follows Republican politics and even Democrats in the state know that Carnahan is a pretty big, uh, she attracts a lot of conflict and she picks fights on social media with people, um, other politicians. She is a very frequent blocker of people that that she does not like. So um, that's why that's why Coran sort of offered himself as the type of Republican who can bring the leadership without that kind of drama and also try to move the party past Trump and try to win a statewide race. The other thing that that is also at issue is the financial management of the party, because at the time, Carnahan was facing some criticism by some members of the executive board committee who wanted a financial audit after they learned that there was these credit card processing fees um, that were sending out a whole lot more money than was intended. And so they wanted to take a closer look at the party's books. And so this is the context that the party finds itself in when a major Republican donor to the party and close friend of Carnahan is indicted on sex trafficking minors. And we are following breaking news out of the Minnesota GOP. U.S. Attorney's Office says 30-year-old Anton Tony Lazaro is accused of conspiring with others to recruit six minors to have sex with other people. But who is Tony Lazaro? Where did he come from? And where did his money come from? And so what do we learn about this GOP donor and friend of Carnahan? 
So Tony Lazaro is 30 years old, and he's arrested by FBI agents and indicted on several counts of sex trafficking minors, including a couple counts of obstruction. Um, he has denied all of the charges and, and has pleaded not guilty. But from the charging documents, we see that in December of last year, FBI agents uh, served a search warrant on his condo in downtown Minneapolis. It's a luxury condo at the Hotel Ivy. So pretty upscale, upscale um, home he lives in. And FBI agents seized a number of items, including his 2010 Ferrari, a number of SD cards, several cell phones. Um, they also seized $371,000 in cash that they found in a safe. They also seized uh, some forms of foreign currency and gold and bouillon bars as well. So, you know, he, he had a lot stashed at his apartment. And what do we learn about uh, his connection to the party and Carnahan. So as journalists start to look into his background, we start to learn uh, just how much money he gave to the party. Lazaro gave at least $42,000 to the Minnesota GOP, more than $15,000 to Congressman Tom Emmer, who is chair of the National Republican Congressional Committee, and $21,000 to Congressman Jim Hagedorn, and more. He himself ran uh, what he called the Big Tent Republican PAC. We formed Big Tent Republicans to save our country, to make sure far leftists like her and him never have control of anything. Which, you know, was kind of billed as this more inclusive Republican group of women and minorities and, and LGBT individuals. A prosperous economy, lower taxes, and less regulation serve all Americans, regardless of race, gender, and lifestyle. So by the MinGOP's accounting, he's given nearly $300,000 in, in, in money over the years. Um, and he also, as, as I said earlier, seemed to be a really close friend of Carnahan. He was at her wedding. They co-hosted a podcast together. Um, they, they traveled together. They had dinner together. There was pictures of them. Um, and her husband, U.S. Representative Jim Hagedorn at a Vikings game. So they were pretty close. So what are the criticisms of Carnahan at this time? So the initial criticisms of Carnahan focused mostly on her connection to him. Um, many of her critics said that given how close they were, there was no way she didn't know something about what had happened. And in fact, you know, one later uh, executive director, you know, made a reference that or, or said that she told him that he would not approve of Lazaro's lifestyle. So, you know, that that was one example of how people, um, you know, said she must have known something. And so... Her defense was she didn't know. I mean, yeah, he was invited to our wedding, but uh, there were a lot of other Republicans invited to my wedding, right? And can't screen all Republican donors. There were so many Republicans in our party who knew and were friends with Mr. Lazaro. Many Republican elected officials who knew or accepted contributions from him, other activists, other you know grassroots leaders. But how can you hold all of us accountable for his actions, which we, we didn't know about? She also said that any criticism of her is just critics trying to relitigate her her chair race. All the people calling for my resignation are people that didn't support me when I ran for re-election four months ago and won with 67 percent, over 67 percent of the vote on the first ballot. And that was a very, very negative, um, unpleasant re-election campaign to go through. What about her husband, Representative Jim Hagedorn, who he was in this widely circulated photo of Carnahan and Lazaro at a Vikings game? So Republicans have largely spared him of any hard criticism and, and partly because he's very sick with cancer. I talked to some Republicans who said that this is part of the reason. Um, you know, a couple of them have said, you know, unless he were to say, you know, I'm running for reelection next year, 
you know, he's unlikely to face stronger criticism. Um, and the conversation around Carnahan, regardless, ends up morphing into one about her mismanagement of the party. Mm-hmm. So say more about that. How does this uh, conversation move from her proximity to Lazaro to then criticisms of her management style? So interestingly enough, just as this the story was breaking, I was looking into why their latest executive director had left the party. She's been through something like five executive directors in the last four years, which wow. is which is pretty high turnover. Um, and so there had been some rumblings over the years about her being a really abusive boss. Um, and so, you know, a lot of this is is ha- was mostly off the record, people who had left the party. Um, but then I started learning about her, her use of non-disclosure agreements, particularly agreements that contain non-disparagement clauses, um, and was able to confirm that for us and, and reported that uh, a week before she resigned. So your reporting found that she required lots of her staff to sign these NDAs, which then stifled criticism of her? Right. And in, in the view of one part, former party official who I spoke with, um, her use of these NDAs was prolific. And so um, when I asked this person what that meant, they told me that she had even asked executive committee members to sign non-disclosure agreements and and many of them signed it and her the reasoning was you know we don't we don't need to have any of our conflict sort of spill out into public view it hurts the republican brand but in the view of this former party official all that uh did was basically protect her from any criticism hmm. and is this wide or prolific use of ndas normal in political parties so as I started to ask around, I learned from the Minnesota DFL that they that they don't use them. Um, I talked to other Republicans who said that they had they didn't remember the use of NDAs before Chair Carnahan, um, and so it's it's pretty atypical to use NDAs in that form. I mean, there might be some as it relates to you know really um, uh, to private sort of donor lists and activist lists and things like that. You know, the types of things that actually give. Uh, someone in a competitive race an advantage, uh, but their use otherwise is not that common. And eventually, after we reported that the NDAs are being used, the board meets and there's a motion made to free all the past Min GOP staffers who signed an agreement from 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 the NDAs. And so that really opens up the floodgates for for more information to come out. Wow. So what happens then? So. Then suddenly we're seeing a torrent of statements, um, some from anonymous um, past MNGOP staffers, a lot of them young women, who then start alleging that they were sexually harassed by party staffers and that when they tried to come forward to report that were retaliated against. Um, and so a lot of that is coming out very quickly. Um, it's it's coming out so fast that reporters like myself are struggling to you know uh, verify some of these claims. And so... All these allegations really start attracting calls by some Republican elected officials, mostly in the state house, some candidates for Carnahan to resign. And now a growing number of prominent Republicans are calling for the resignation of state GOP party chair Jennifer Carnahan. Because this no longer is about her ties to Lazaro, but rather, you know, what she enabled at the party and what she did when it came to uh, reports of sexual harassment. And so... Um, eventually, the final nail in the coffin appears to be a joint letter signed by four of five past Men GOP executive directors. 
It's a scathing opening line to a lengthy statement. Quote, the party is morally bankrupt due to the leadership of Jennifer Carnahan. Um, and it was, a, it was a pretty remarkable statement. I've not seen anything like that in politics in my entire time covering um, Minnesota politics. And it alleges, among other, other things, that she created a toxic workplace. Um, they allege that she was erratic. They allege that she was highly unprofessional. Um, but then there were some other party dealings that were were highly highly suspicious, including her uh, tipping in favor of her preferred candidates, you know, party resources, things like withholding lists and and other things like that. So they made a reference to a past party chair who left the party in financial ruin, um, said that while Tony Sutton, this former party chair, had left the party in financial bankruptcy, she had morally bankrupted the party. Hmm. And so how does Carnahan respond? Carnahan does not give an inch. She digs in. She remains defiant. She characterizes these calls for her resignation as a type of coup. Um, and she she challenges the board to take a vote on her leadership. So she's not willing to go voluntarily. She She's challenging them to remove her. Um, in media interviews that she gave that week, she also alleged that some of these executive committee members had hate in their heart. Mm. So this starts to get really personal, really, really nasty for a number of Republican activists. So Carnahan issues this challenge to the board to take a vote on if they have confidence in her. What do they do? So this meeting is held in person at Republican Party headquarters in Edina. And the reason for the in-person meeting was because their past meeting, which was held virtually, um, there were there was one Republican activist and freelance journalist who was live tweeting the proceedings because she was at the home of one of the board members. And so, you know, there was there was this uh, effort to clamp down on the public airing of party business like that. So they, they were all summoned to Diana for this for this meeting. And ahead of it, many Republican activists uh, decided they would gather outside of the offices and hold a protest. Um, and the only people that were allowed into the meeting were executive committee members or state delegates and their alternates. Um, heading into the meeting, they were told to turn over their phones. And so, there, again, another effort to clamp down on on any type of live tweeting or <laughs> real-time airing of, of what was happening. Um, so it was a pretty dramatic, dramatic night. There were journalists assembled who who were there to see what, what would happen. The future of leadership for the Minnesota GOP is up in the air as Chair Jennifer Carnahan heads into a vote at party headquarters. And the executive committee within the party will be the one, will be the entity that will take up the vote. There are 15 people who sit on that committee and they will need a two-thirds majority, 10 or more, to vote Carnahan out of office. And what do they do? So leading up to it, we learned that Carnahan was trying to negotiate a severance package. Um, so going into it, we we learned that she was trying to seek some some severance pay. Um, and during the meeting, there is a negotiation over how much to give her. Um, I think she initially asked for something like 10 months worth of salary to, to leave. And that was far too much to many of the committee members. And so then they started just kind of going around and trying to figure out what number they were comfortable with. And they eventually settled on three months of salary, which amounted to $38,000. But the board was deadlocked. They, they, there, was a, there was a tie uh, in terms of the number of board members who, who were okay with that number and those who did not want to give her severance. And ultimately, she cast the deciding vote 
in favor of her own severance package. She then, a few minutes later, released a statement announcing her resignation officially. In it, she said it's unfortunate that the mob mentality has come out in this way to defame, tarnish, and attempt to ruin my personal and professional reputation. That, a defense of herself in the face of a flood of staffers and young Republicans who accused her of running a morally bankrupt operation in which sexual harassment, verbal abuse, and intimidation was pervasive. So it seems like Carnahan went in less than 24 hours, went from defiant to negotiating a favorable exit for herself. Right. And so that left a lot of people really upset. You know, there were a number of GOP activists, including one well-known one named Sherry Eau Claire, who said she was disgusted by it. To know that money that I gave is going into her pocket because that's the only way she will walk away is for money. You don't tell me that she cares anything about the party and where we are going to go in the future with the party. She only cares about herself and money in her pocket. I'm disgusted. Absolutely disgusted. And that's all I have to say about this. Um, she said that she had stopped giving to the party under Carnahan because she was worried about where her money was going. So this kind of tells you a little bit about what's at stake here. So if donors don't have confidence that their money is going to something good or, you know, being well used, they won't give. And there's, you know, there's big donors, but there's also a lot of small donors. Hmm. And so this this is what's at stake for them. And what about Tony Lazaro, the man who set this all off in a way? So Lazaro makes his first court appearance on Tuesday at a detention and arraignment hearing. And so this is the first time that we actually get a preview of what the prosecutor's case might be. Um, and it's a four hour long hearing. So we hear quite a bit. Um, we hear from the one of the officers who was involved in the sex trafficking um, investigation who detailed some pretty lurid details about what exactly happened. Um, in the telling of this officer, the investigation began in summer 2020 when a young girl and her family came to the police and reported that she had been trafficked. Um, in the in the prosecutor's telling of the, of the case, they said that Lazaro was buying sex from teenage girls with the help of a of a accomplice, Gisela Castro Medina. Um, she is a 19-year-old University of St. Thomas student, chair of college Republicans there. And so they allege that she was the one responsible for helping him find and connect with young teenage girls via social media. The, the girls raged in age from 15 to 17. And as Lazaro's attorney pointed out, the age of consent in the state is 16. Um, but there is one who is 15. And so... Um, according to prosecutors, Lazaro uh, paid for the sex with cash and a lot of gifts, including Prada purses, cell phones, vape pens, um, and as well as uh, lavish meals and, and some alcohol, too. Hmm. And so how does the judge rule on Lazaro's detention? So the federal judge in the hearing uh, eventually ruled against releasing him while he awaits trial. Um, his lawyers had wanted him released on home detention, saying that his his condo unit in Minneapolis uh, was ideal for that type of release. They um, actually had hired and presented a, an assessment from a security consultant who said that you know that it was ideal because it was already uh, set up with internet connected, high quality cameras in many of the rooms. Uh, that could be monitored 24-7 if, if, if needed. And uh, the judge ruled that um, given the seriousness of the charges and the likelihood 
um, or the potential likelihood that he could flee given his his access to um, to money and his connections that he would remain detained until trial. So Lazaro will have a long and high profile criminal case. In regards to the Minnesota GOP, where does the story go from here? So the Republican Party has to find a new leader. And thus far, there aren't that many takers for the job. Um, Senator Mark Coran, who previously ran for the position, declined and he backed out this week saying that while he would like to be uh, party chair, he has um, has increased responsibilities now as a lawmaker, as chair of the Legislative Audit Commission. Um, and a few other names have been floated, um, a couple that are considering it. Um, and there has been one candidate who has announced, former state representative Jim Neuberger, um, who previously ran for U.S. Senate. Um, and the other thing is that the party's not in great financial position. Um, you know, while the part, while Carnahan has boasted that they had resolved a lot of their legacy debt, the last, you know, previous financial disclosures it showed at one point that they only had thirteen dollars in their federal account, um, and some of that has recovered since. But you know, if if the party gives back a lot of Lazaro's contributions and they end up paying this this thirty eight thousand dollars severance package, it would hit them pretty hard. Um, in fact, some de- state central delegates are pushing to revoke and claw back that severance. They they are going to be holding an emergency meeting here uh, to potentially take a vote on that. And so all of this has pretty big implications going into 2022. It's going to be hard for Republicans to press on issues like crime or family values when they have a major donor indicted for sex trafficking and the previous chair had such close ties to him. Ricardo Lopez, thank you so much. Thanks so much. This show was produced by me, Max Nesterak, and edited by Patrick Kulikin. Special thanks to Johnny Vince Evans, who composed our theme. We have a newsletter that comes out six days a week with political insights and scoops, as well as news from around the state. Sign up at minnesotareformer.com. You can drop me a line at max at minnesotareformer.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.